Hey there, it's Stuart. If you're not already a member of iFormerX, please consider joining our community practice. It's free to health professionals and those training to become a health professional, so just head on over to our website, iFormerX.org, and sign up today. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about the increasing role that telehealth is playing in the management of chronic diseases and how pharmacists are leveraging technology to make care delivery more convenient for patients while still achieving high standards of care. One of the most important roles that pharmacists play in the healthcare systems today is managing medications for chronic diseases like hypertension, diabetes, dyslipidemia, and anticoagulation therapy. And because chronic care management can be delivered from anywhere to patients everywhere, health systems are increasingly using telehealth technologies to reach patients. Not only is telehealth more convenient, but it can improve access to care for patients who live in rural areas, patients who have difficulty getting transportation to a clinic, and patients who are frail and have mobility issues. However, there are some lingering concerns that chronic disease management delivered by pharmacists at a distance may not be as effective as in-person care delivered by physicians. So when I saw the Hyperlink 3 study published in the journal Hypertension a few months ago, I thought it would be a great article to review on iFormerX. And joining me today to discuss the Hyperlink 3 study are Elizabeth Yett and Jessica Wooster. Elizabeth and Jessica are no strangers to iFormerX as they both served on the iFormerX advisory board and both have contributed to our mission in several ways over the years. Elizabeth is on faculty at the Ben and Mady Fish College of Pharmacy at the University of Texas at Tyler in Tyler, Texas, and she practices at Tyler Cardiovascular Consultants. And Jessica recently moved back to Memphis, Tennessee, where she's a clinical pharmacy specialist in cardiology and women's health at the Memphis VA Medical Center, which is just down the road for me. So Elizabeth, Jessica, welcome back to the iFormerX podcast. Thanks so much for having us, Stuart. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me back, Stuart. So Elizabeth, before we get started with our discussion, I'd like to set some context for the hyperlink study. I think there's pretty strong evidence that pharmacists can deliver high quality care to patients with hypertension. There have been several studies over the years that have shown that when pharmacists work in collaboration or are co-located with primary care physicians, blood pressure control is improved. However, in the Hyperlink 3 study, the pharmacists were delegated the authority to manage the patients, including counseling on diet and exercise, modifying medications, and making referrals. So really, the pharmacists were acting independently to manage these patients. Have any previous hypertension studies used a similar model? And were the outcomes from those studies favorable? So I think this is really helpful in starting to set the scene for why the Hyperlink 3 study was done. And so a really good example of this intervention was a cluster randomized trial of blood pressure reduction in black barber shops, which we fondly know as the Barbershop Study. And this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2018. And so this was pharmacist-led intervention with the assistance of barbers. So the barbers encouraged meetings with these patients in their barber shops. 
And these were specially trained pharmacists who were able to prescribe drug therapy under a collaborative practice agreement with the participants' doctors, or if they didn't have a doctor, with a local community physician. And so the primary outcome they were looking at was reduction in systolic blood pressure at six months. And this was at barbershops specifically, so pretty unique for a, a setting of care. With the intervention group with the pharmacists, they regularly met with the patients in the barbershop. They prescribed different antihypertensive regimens, measured blood pressure, encouraged lifestyle changes, and then also were able to monitor specific labs based on the patient's medications. In the control group, the patient simply received instruction about blood pressure. The results of the study showed that about 65% of patients got to goal with pharmacist intervention versus only 11% of patients achieving goal in the control group. And so essentially what they found was among these visitors who attended the barbershop that had this uncontrolled hypertension, that the interaction with the barbers leading to the interaction with the pharmacist was, was able to have greater blood pressure reduction than the control group, which did not receive these interactions. Another study that, again, served at the, as the basis for this Hyperlink 3 study was Hyperlink 1. And so this was done by the same authors who did Hyperlink 3. It was a randomized controlled trial with home blood pressure telemonitoring along with pharmacist-led telephone care. And so essentially the question they were trying to answer was, can hypertensive care be effective in a telehealth model? So is it safe? Is it effective to do telehealth care led by a pharmacist? Of course, no surprise, the answer there was yes. So the primary outcome they were looking at was reduction in blood pressure in 12 months. So they found that there was a significantly greater reduction in blood pressure in the patients who received this telehealth intervention by pharmacists versus patients who received routine primary care. And they also found those patients experienced fewer cardiovascular events. This Hyperlink 1 study set the framework for Hyperlink 3. And in case you're wondering, like Jessica and I were, there is not a Hyperlink 2 study that we could find. They just went straight to Hyperlink 3. So Jessica, let's talk about the study entitled Comparing Pharmacist-Led Telehealth Care and Clinic-Based Care for Uncontrolled High Blood Pressure, the Hyperlink 3 Pragmatic Cluster Randomized Trial. Now, the study was published in the journal Hypertension late last year in December of 2022, and we provide a link to the paper on our website, but can you tell us about the study methods and the key results? This for Hyperlink 3, they really wanted to set out and compare the two different models of team-based ambulatory care and the treatment of what they call moderately severe hypertension. So this was defined as a blood pressure greater than or equal to 150 over 90. So they wanted to look at was there any differences in safety, efficacy, and patient satisfaction? So their primary outcome was a change in systolic blood pressure over 12 months. The secondary outcomes were patient-reported outcomes that they followed over a six-month period. So patients had an index visit, um, and after this index visit, they would be randomized to a follow-up care in one to two weeks in either the clinic face-to-face -face appointment or the telehealth group. So the clinic-based group, um, as we can imagine, involved physicians working alongside MAs, so medical assistants, while the telehealth group was pharmacist-provided care. They were both to follow the same best practices in hypertension management, so both groups, the clinic-based and the telehealth group. And these best practices were established and used in the Hyperlink 1 trial. 
So they define the best practices as at the index visit. So the first visit, they would have an in-office blood pressure to confirm that their blood pressure was in fact elevated and met that threshold of greater than or equal to 150 over 90. And if that first reading didn't meet it, they would repeat that reading during the visit um, and then take appropriate action. And they would discuss the treatment plan with a patient, identify patient-specific factors, And then the other piece being frequent follow-up care at a regular interval. So this was defined as about a two to four week follow-up. So the differences to note um, between the two groups were obviously the providers of care with the physician and the pharmacist being the sole provider of care. And also the other big difference was in the pharmacist telehealth group, those patients were trained on how to accurately take a blood pressure, knowing their blood pressure goals, and be sure they were taking their blood pressures regularly. So the primary outcome, the reduction of systolic blood pressure, was not statistically significant between the groups, but it was statistically significant in both groups. So the clinic-based care group, they had a reduction of 18 millimeters of mercury. In the telehealth group, it was about 19 millimeters of mercury. So regarding the secondary outcomes, nothing was of surprise. So the telehealth group, most of them said they were more satisfied with their care. They had to take less time off work and other responsibilities being able to be managed at home. There was an increase in patients checking their blood pressure at home in the telehealth group of two or more times a week. There was an increase in the patients more likely to share those home BPs with their providers in the telehealth group. And also there were more likely to make changes in between visits based on home BP readings in our telehealth group. Also the telehealth group not really a shocker, reported there was more inconvenience with having to do this regular home BP monitoring, what I like to call homework for my patients. Uh, It's also important to note there was no differences in safety parameters. So in summary, Hyperlink 3 found that telehealth care provided by pharmacists is as safe and effective as clinic-based care for uncontrolled hypertension. So Elizabeth, the uh, investigators call this a, quote, pragmatic cluster, randomized clinical trial. So I'm hoping you can unpack that for us. First, what is a cluster randomization and why not just randomize each individual patient to either the face-to-face physician care group or the telehealth pharmacist care group? Uh, What's the advantage of a cluster randomization in this situation? And, And second, what makes the study, quote, pragmatic? Do, do either of these decisions by the investigators reduce the validity of the findings in your mind? And does it increase the risk of bias, for example, or make confounding more likely? So I, of course, had to do some of my own unpacking to unpack this for our listeners. So the cluster randomized aspect of this trial is essentially that the randomization is not based on the individual person or patient, but of course seen in a cluster or a group. And so you'll see this research commonly done in areas like education and public health research because the essential component of it is testing differences in a method or a specific approach to patient care. So here they were evaluating the differences in the telehealth approach to patient care versus in-person care. This cluster randomized trial is better to evaluate whether a type of care might become a new standard of care or become a new practice-wide or system-wide change that can overall help affect patient outcomes. 
The advantages of the cluster randomized trial here are that it was certainly more logistically convenient because how they chose to randomize it was based on clinic, not by individual patients within the clinic. The pragmatic aspect of this can be compared also to our traditional randomized control trials. We know that our traditional randomized control trials are delivered very specifically to very selected patient populations under ideal conditions, but this can make it a little bit difficult to translate the results to the real world, which might not always fall under these ideal conditions. And so in our pragmatic trials, they are kind of designed to improve practice and policy in settings of more real world or routine practice. So unlike most traditional randomized control trials, they're going to take place in places where everyday care happens. So for example, here this was in regular community clinics. And so the purpose of it is to be more real world, to mimic everyday practice, to mimic everyday clinical decision-making for the everyday practitioner. Something that was noted is that recruitment might actually be more difficult at sites that do perform routine patient care as opposed to a research site, which is something that you would find within a randomized controlled trial. And then also there is pretty minimal inclusion and exclusion criteria. And so that way they could have a heterogeneous patient population rather than the more specific ideal settings they might be looking for to test a specific drug for a specific patient. And although the intention is to make the results more generalizable, this approach to the trial can be seen as a weakness if the setting of care that is used does not always reflect what most practices are actually like. And so the traditional best practices might not always align with the actual practices that occur in certain patient care settings. So Jessica, I'll admit my bias by saying that I was hopeful that pharmacist care would actually result in significantly better blood pressure control. That wasn't the case in this particular study. And so we can't make the argument that chronic care management by pharmacists is somehow better, at least not in terms of blood pressure control. So I'm wondering what do you see as the potential advantages of this particular care delivery model specifically for the treatment of hypertension? And finally, do you believe this model of care can be implemented by pharmacists who work in other settings like community pharmacists who provide care to patients in assisted living facilities or population health pharmacists who work for a care management company? Yeah, I do think there's some advantages in this alternate care delivery method that we have with telehealth care, whether that be phone or video modalities for visits. So the patient reported outcomes, while there wasn't a difference in the primary outcome in this study, the patient reported outcomes did. So improving patient satisfaction and convenience of care are important. So many patients may not be able to attend visits as regularly as we would like them to so we can help control their blood pressure, not in a six-month follow-up time frame, but in the two to four weeks like they did in this study. So patients being able to attend these regular follow-up visits, being able to pick up a phone or click a link and, and jump in on a video visit, that's a lot easier than them getting in the car, getting a ride, or getting on public transportation to make it to their visit but also them being satisfied that they don't have to take off work, that they don't have to rearrange their schedule was another outcome that they saw in the patient reported outcomes of the study. So telehealth care is a great option for some, not for all. So 
something that could have been stronger in this study was if they gave the patients a choice into what their follow-up care delivery would be. So telehealth care is not a one-size-fits-all. Not all patients are going to agree that they want telehealth care, that it would be appropriate for them. So patients, they had to be able to take a standardized blood pressure. And if they're not doing it accurately, then those numbers aren't really something we want to look at. And we just want to use the standardized readings we get face-to-face with these patients when we perform them. So the other reason why I think that there was no statistical significance between the groups in the systolic blood pressure changes from telehealth to -to face-to-face was those best practices. So best practices, it's what we all should be following, right? However, that's not necessarily real world. Not everyone is following these best practices. A lot of primary care type offices may not be following this rigorous list of best practices. So this lends us to think, well, maybe there should have been a usual care group that didn't follow these best practices. And I I agree, I think it would be a great option for community pharmacists that are doing chronic care management or those consultant pharmacists in assisted living facilities, et cetera. I think it would be great to be able to reach a lot more patients. Oftentimes phone visits or video visits are short visit, meaning you could do more visits in one day and be able to capture more patients. And then you can make more changes and get them to go faster because you're getting readings in between those face-to-face visits and able to make action towards those blood pressures not at goal. Jessica, Elizabeth, thanks again for contributing to iFormerX and and being on the podcast today. Telehealth is here to stay, and these data suggest that chronic disease management can be effectively delivered by pharmacists at a distance, but I think we knew that already. Well, tell us what you do in your practice. Do you offer blood pressure management and other chronic disease management services in your practice? And how are you delivering those services, primarily face-to-face or primarily by phone or video teleconferencing or a mix of both. Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features. So be sure to log in every time you visit iFormerX.org. Would you like to earn board recertification credit for listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary posted on our website? Well, you can. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to offer the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series. It's available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere. Just click on the link posted just below the written commentary on our website to learn more. Lastly, I want to thank Katie Pincus at the University of Maryland for her many years of service on our editorial board and for working with the PGY2 Ambulatory Care residents at Maryland every year to write a commentary and participate in a podcast. Katie was actually one of my students during an introductory pharmacy practice experience we called Longitudinal Care when I was on faculty at Maryland some years ago, and I still remember her thoughtful contributions to her patient care group discussion sessions. Well, Katie went on to complete a pharmacotherapy residency and has been practicing in family medicine for many years now. And so I'm so pleased to be a witness to her professional growth over the years. And I'm glad we still get to work with each other. So thank you, Katie, for all you do to educate the next generation of pharmacists and ensure that patients are receiving high quality care. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, 
editor-in-chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.